At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, and this week, we're going back to Bundyville for another look at the patriot movement in The Remnant. Then we'll talk about the clearing in which the daughter of a serial killer and a journalist try to determine whom he killed and whom he didn't. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and sexy voice tonk, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and storm disaster chaser, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. That's me. The whole family went out to look at storm damage tonight, you know, because that's what we do. (laughs) Sometimes it's Christmas lights. Sometimes it's trick-or-treating. Sometimes it's branches down. (laughs) Sometimes it's uprooted trees in Little Exeter, New Hampshire. It was. It was a big tree. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our brilliant Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Ahoy there. Now, Toby, I really want to give you a chance to plug your book club podcast right now. Because when this podcast drops, your your book club will be up. As we're taping this, the final edit is being done, and our awesome. very handsome editor, Henry Lavoie, tells me... Very handsome. This is, hands down, the very best episode of the Balls Deep Dive book club podcast he's ever edited. Toby, do you just want to tell our listeners who the guests are on our Patreon-exclusive book club podcast this time around? Sure. So we had uh, Marcia Chatlin, mm-hmm. who's been on before. But she's from Undisclosed, and she teaches at Georgetown. And the Waves on Slate. That too. <laughs> um, and then Shirley Lero, who's uh, a listener, and she teaches at the uh, Community College of Manhattan, I think. But anyway, uh, she's awesome. And then uh, Madeline Barron from, you know, In the Dark. I think you Madeline mean Barron. Um, Madeline <gasps> yeah. Barron, as my Henry yeah. said, as I walked in the door. Did she read? <laughs> yeah so actually it's a it's an awesome conversation partly because i don't say a whole lot but also partly because <laughs> there's a good mix it, it was really fun just to kind of hang back and listen to them because you know madeline obviously has a very sort of unique and uniquely informed perspective on this and then both Marsha and shirley have taught it yeah and uh have, have really good insights i thought and sort of the three of them play off each other really well. So it was really fun for me uh, recording it just to listen to them talk about it and, and the uh, exchange of ideas and stuff. So if you've never checked it out before, this is a good time. That's right. What's the book again? Uh, it's The New Jim Crow. Mm. You know, it's it's basically about how 
you know, our system of mass incarceration, and, and she really focuses on African-American men, is sort of intentionally sort of controlling minorities in our country. Uh, and, and it's like, it goes from slavery to Jim Crow to the, the era of mass incarceration. That's kind of her thesis. But yeah, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really good conversation. All right. So you get Toby's Balls Deep Dive book club podcast right now on our Patreon. You can also get a brand new episode of Leave it to Bricker in which Lara Bricker tries to figure out which person in her little town <laughs> won one of the largest Mega Millions jackpots ever awarded with a single ticket that was sold in her little town. And apparently she's trying to track down that millionaire for no other reason than pure curiosity. Yeah. Yep. And... If that's not enough to get you to pay $6 on Patreon, I don't know what is. We have a very deep conversation (laughs) about race in America with two well-known scholars on the subject and Madeline Barron and a podcast in which Laura tries to chase down a lottery winner. I mean, seriously, we're making so many things. Don't forget Mary with Podcast. It's also a brand new episode of Mary with Podcast in which you and I, Kevin, really lay bare the inner workings of our relationship. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Not as lusty as that sounds. Listen, our Patreon yeah. followers are very happy. And if you want to join them, just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends the plug portion of this podcast. Are you guys ready to review some true crime stuff? Yeah. I'm pretty ready. sure. Oregon Public Broadcasting and Long Reads return with a sequel to their award-winning Four Thumbs Up podcast, Bundyville. Host Leah Satilli picks up on more of the Patriot movement in The Remnant. The podcast literally starts off with a bang, and we hear that Glenn Jones is threatening to blow up the house of Joshua and Tiffany Clough. What if I told you that in the summer of 2016, there was a bombing on U.S. soil you never heard about? 911, what is your emergency? I really short of my house. It happened in the tiny town of Panaca, Nevada. Tiffany Clough was at home with her three daughters when a man came to the door and said he was going to blow her house up. She should get the kids and leave. He said he was going to blow up. He said he was going to kill you? She grabbed the kids, rushed outside, and called 911. Then, everything blew up. What could have been written off as a deadly dispute between former co-workers may actually have more to do with the anti-government movement Clive and Bundy embodied. The mystery links Jones to a slain protester now hailed as a martyr by the Patriot movement. The Remnant is another deep dive into the dangerous world of militiamen, conspiracy theories, and would-be domestic terrorists. Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be discussing plot points from Bundyville the Remnant. So if you want to remain spoiler free, just go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Kevin, quick question for you. Yeah. Characters in this podcast, you and I were debating it a little bit while we were on our vacation listening to the show, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is a binge listen. They dropped all the episodes. Right. It makes a very good binge. Yep. Right. Who is the scarier character in this podcast? That dude Keebler that Leah talks to at the truck stop uh-huh. or Lavoie Finnicum's wife who completely transforms from grieving widow to crazy ass racist in another piece of the podcast. No, what do you think? It's the guy from the truck stop. Keebler. Keebler. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think she put it actually very well. You talk to him for the first hour. Right. And he seems like a normal person. And then it's really just this time release capsule of crazy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's when that's when you find out where, you know, where his mind really is at. 
you can't do the Pledge of Allegiance in our school, but now we've got Muslims praying and everything else in the hallways in our schools and in our classrooms. And teachers are now making kids dress up like Muslims. I asked Keebler to give me an example of where this was happening, but he just said... A number of places. Yeah. It's, it's unsettling because, you know, you know, for some people you can argue politics and maybe they're not going to believe you, but you, she's just not going to believe, like, facts. Right. Makes him very dangerous. Yeah. Was he the one, they were, like, sitting in the booth in, like, a diner and all of a sudden he was like, mm-hmm. they're looking at us, they're here right yes. now. Yep. Don't. Yep. And I was like, what is going on right <laughs> yep. now? Oh, my God. I'm like, this is like Stranger Things where the guy's, like, talking Russian and they're driving around with the sheriff or something. The ironic thing is, you know, there's, the, like, a joke says, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not really out to get you. I mean, here's a guy who, yeah, sees government agents everywhere. But he really was set up in a by the government, quiet, yeah. In what you can argue is an entrapment case. So he has like, yeah, see the government. I'm not making this up. They really did. They arrested me and they tried to set me up and blah blah blah. No, but they actually did. And it right, but it's, <laughs> it, it, to him it verifies his paranoia. Well, that's the thing though, and that's what's so interesting about this podcast is that. You know, Toby sent me a note about how this is all criminally underreported. And Leah makes this point again and again in the podcast. And Toby, I'd love for you to speak to this, that there is this idea in journalism and also sort of like in public affairs and public policy stuff that these fringe things and these fringe people, it's better to not report it, to ignore them, to not give them oxygen, et cetera, et cetera, because then you bring their thinking to the forefront and you showcase them and you give them space to talk. But we're actually talking about people who actually are committing actual acts of violence and are influencing other parts of our culture. Can you just talk about that? How, Like with your note to me that you said how it's criminally underreported? So I guess there's a couple things. One is I think the whole don't give them oxygen, you know, may have been effective like 20 years ago, but there's so many alternative routes to getting your the word out now that I, I don't know if that is as valid anymore because I think you can get on the internet and, and if you have any interest at all, pretty quickly find it. Mm-hmm. These are people who, you know, they, they talk about um, like the, the threat matrix, which is like, do you have the capability and do you have the, I can't remember exactly what the word is, but it's basically desire or intent. And this is a group of people who have, who have both, right? They're heavily armed. They also have these strong anti-government feelings and as a matter of fact, people associated with the movement, you know, were responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing. I mean, Tim McVeigh was was part of this. Standoffs. Um, they they talk about, you know, the bombing that they're talking about in this podcast are also sort of related because it's it's a guy who gets kind of sucked into all this as well. Maybe the oxygen thing is part of the reluctance, but I think there's also been a reluctance because of how political it is. You know, I mean, it's I think these people identify as conservatives, although I don't think they're sort of what we would think of as mainstream conservatives, but they do identify themselves in as being on that area of uh, sort of the political spectrum. And I think that, you know, news organizations also find that daunting. Um, it is because I think they are concerned about being, you know, the liberal media and all this stuff uh, if they report on it. But, you know, I think this is one of those cases where, 
you know, th- this is actually a threat in our country, not in all parts of our country, and not all people who are involved in this are threats, but it is something that, that probably deserves attention. One of the things I think I really agree with Toby on is that these movements, because they are now aligning themselves with a seated president and a party, whereas, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, it would have been very easy for the media to sort of say, this is fringe, this is fringe, let's not give them oxygen. Now the media is saying to report on them as they are is being, in some way, there is a fear of bias because... You're not it's like, oh, you just don't like conservatives. That's not what it is. And I think that's one of the things that makes this podcast so brave. And if if you want to just like um, question my judgment on that, look at the Apple reviews of this podcast. Look at them, because for every five star review that this podcast gets for its objectively, Kevin, I know I'm not being objective, like almost perfect production, great writing, in-depth reporting, like complete storytelling. Every fifth one is like. The host is just some government bootlicker who doesn't uh. like Republicans. And like literally that's not what the podcast is about. Mm. But it, it goes to show why this is underreported. And Laura, I know that like this isn't something you necessarily would have listened to otherwise. How did it make no. you feel listening to it? Well, I was cursing Toby for a while because he's the one who suggested we listen to us. And I was like, thanks a lot, Toby. I'm now in the fetal position and I'm never leaving my house again. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was kind of conflicted because I'm listening to it. And I, I guess I didn't I, I know this is going on, but I guess I kind of try to shield myself a little bit and listening to this podcast. I really couldn't. I had to acknowledge that. This patriot movement is really as it's organized and they're ready. And if our boy Trump doesn't get in, we have guns. And I was like, holy shit. So I was conflicted because I'm like, yeah, again, like, do you report it or not report it? But also, like, I want to know what's going on, but I also don't want to know what's going on because it's it's like kind of frightening when you think about the level of organization and when you when you realize when you look back at season one of this podcast you know that started with the Bundy family and then you look at all the people that sort of glommed onto them when that was happening and they didn't necessarily share um, the exact same you know grievances and beliefs but they they rallied and now to see how that has sort of I wouldn't say snowballed but continued I felt very, uh, I didn't feel very good when I was listening to this podcast. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Kevin, what about you? I mean, we talk about this a lot. The sort of, one of the things that uh, Leah looked at in the first season of Bundyville, which was which was basically why the Bundys were radicalized. And even though we may not agree with some of the tactics of that family, we may not even agree with their point of view, the journey to radicalization in that family was in some ways, especially with the dad, Cliven, like, logical right right he was lied to by the government as a child that was doing nuclear testing near his home but he'd also spent time south of the border and he had a lot of sympathy for immigrants and he had a lot of political and social leanings that didn't align with the people who leah said were itching for a fight Mm -hmm. that sort of came around him because of just general anti-government sentiments but this season looks at scarier more nuanced part of that movement How do you feel about the telling of this story and how much we need to know about it as news consumers? It's interesting because it is um, a really deep dive. And I'm wondering, you know, how, quote unquote, entertaining this is. I think it's sort of a must listen. 
like it's not like super fun, right? It's not <laughs> like uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, I might not be, you know, I might be unartful with my words about this. I feel more like you, you have a duty to listen and to understand this part of our society versus, oh, this is a really interesting serial killer case, you know? Yeah, but I also think it's really well made. Oh, I'm, I don't. And yeah. I think I think the choice yeah, to drop it all at once was I the was right great, choice yeah. because I don't I think I would have been freaked out if I weren't a podcast reviewer. Like when I listen past episode three, I might be like, I don't fucking want to know any more about this. But because mm. it was a binge, like I wanted to binge it. The writing is fantastic. Uh, as much as I say that we should never like talk about the, sort of the quality of the voices of narrators, especially female narrators, Leah Satilli is a freaking awesome writer and narrator for podcasts. I would listen to anything she made. The production is really good. And the way she tries to sort of marry it like, for instance, Kevin, did you know about the whole Washington uh, wanting to break off those people who want to like have like liberty <laughs> as a no. separate state? No. Uh, Wouldn't you find that interesting? And yeah. When, and, and when she doesn't want to go there or she has to go there, but she's also told that it's basically like going into The Handmaid's Tale and they go there. Isn't that interesting? It is. It is. Especially, like, you know, if you're like us and you live on the East Coast, there's a whole part of like Western culture that like, you just don't get right <laughs> and i mean that i mean that like from the from a, a westerner's point of view it's like you don't get us yeah you know there's a rural part of that you know a more uh you know more deeply religious part of that too right and it all comes together in sort of the, you know the frontier where the american spirit was forged and yeah i think every community not every community but every region has a you know a similar group of Extremists, extremists, uh, libertarian-minded. We have them here. Anti-government, right? They have. There's always some. You know, we want to separatists. Yeah, we had the free staters, right? Well, we, we had the do. Browns. Still do. Yeah, we also have. Well, it's not. They're not extremists, but there's this mysterious place up the road for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's like an incorporated community, mm. but only once a year can you go in. Oh. Mm. I'm gonna bleep out the name of that thing that you just said, but yeah, I yeah, no, be that's fine, that's it. fine. It's but it's I may have to go there sometimes. It's it freaks me out. They have the fair, and I'm like, what is that place? Now, Laura, there are many instances in this podcast where I felt as a listener, like Leah and her presence, just reporting this was threatened, and it was a dangerous mm-hmm. situation. She yeah. went to that really weird meeting where they screened that Lavoy Finnica movie, <laughs> and they wouldn't let her tape the audio of it, and then she was like, no, but no, I didn't like need to tape I can just tell you what it was about yeah. it was just propaganda yeah. but there were armed people there who were like clearly targeting and looking at them and then they went to that like marble place that handmade yeah. tale place how did you feel about the potential danger to this reporting team I felt like there was some danger and I was um I was listening to this and I was thinking you know I don't know if I would go in there you know I I felt afraid for her and it was sort of Reminiscent of when we listened to Caliphate and we listened to that reporter go out to meet people that were terrorists. And you're thinking, oh, this is not good. And with Leah going into these scenarios, you know, with the one guy who's deemed like, what was he like the most dangerous person on the terrorist watch list or something? I mean, whatever it was, I can't remember specifically, but good for her. I was like, wow, you've got some nerves of steel to be able to do that. But it was definitely frightening because I was thinking you're kind of exposing yourself as a journalist in a way 
when you take on a story like this, because it, it sounds like some of these people come across as normal and then all of a sudden, whoop, they're not. Yeah. And they have guns and, uh, you know, not to stereotype, but we heard that in this podcast. So when you're looking at her going in and thinking about if she's reporting something that's the truth, but maybe they don't necessarily like it, like what's going to happen to her? One of the themes I found very interesting in the podcast was the gaslighting that many of the subjects of the stories do, insisting that race is not an issue for them when they are on their face racist. They say racist things in public on microphones. And there's this whole ridiculous gaslighting where when you challenge them on the race stuff, it's like, what are you talking about? No. And then you have people on microphones in public forums saying super racist things. Toby, that sort of radicalization around race, around sort of these faux I call them faux religious ideals because to me they are. They're very twisted. It's sort of like the construct that's used to excuse horrible thinking. Is this what you're talking about when you said this stuff is criminally underreported, that people aren't pushing back, that someone just says, like, what are you talking about? I'm not racist when there's a million racist statements on the record. Like, is that what you're talking about? I guess a little bit. I mean, part of it, you know, I think it's easier to ignore it in some ways. I think the the underreporting is that it's an undercurrent and it's a subculture that more than most others has a potential to cause some problems, to make some news for for violent reasons. You know, I I think there's this weird mix, and I think you get it with um, uh, Matt Shea, the, the state senator from Washington State, where it's this sort of weird mix of... You know, white supremacy, you can't even really call it fundamentalist Christianity. It's just like weird, sort of racist, violent Christianity, in radical individualism. And then this like sort of deification of, of America. Yeah. You know, the way they they talk about America is is in more of a, re- a religious way than it than like describing your country. And so I think that's the other thing that makes them kind of dangerous is because having this particular conception of America and then also having sort of this religion-like fervor about it, I think, makes you predisposed to do things that most people wouldn't do in order to preserve the way you think that America ought to be. There's potential there for bad stuff to happen. Well, you know, it was interesting to me listening to this podcast. I was thinking about a story that came out at the end of June where Oregon, the state legislature, was about to pass a climate change bill. And then Republicans in the state Senate, many of whom sort of identify with some of these fringe ideas, left the state so that the state Senate couldn't form a quorum. That's right. Yeah, I remember this. And uh, the governor had to call on the police. There was uh, militia threats on the legislature over this issue. And then I remember hearing coverage of this and seeing coverage of it on TV and hearing you hear coverage of it like on NPR, where they were like interviewing these state senators who were Like, I'm sorry, but like the tactics were bananas (laughs) that they were doing. And the talking points were like very, very extreme. And they were very much normalizing this idea that we're just following the rules. Like we're just fleeing the state. 
So we don't have to do this duty because we just don't agree with the over or whatever. But they were using some of these same talking points. These are elected officials. Right. And Matt Shea in this podcast is doing that. A lot of people in the media, some people even here today, have come out publicly and tried to smear other people. And I want to tell you something about that. We can't become those dirty, godless, hateful people. Shea says he wants the media to report the truth about him. The antidote to that slander and defamation is always truth, isn't it? Now, Kevin, there was a surprise podcast crossover in this show. I missed I, I didn't pick up on it, but you did. <laughs> Spokane, Washington, Sheriff Ozzie, who was a villain in Dan Taberski's Running From Cops, actually is the voice of reason <laughs> in this podcast when it comes to dealing with some of these extremists. But Knezovich is one of Shea's harshest critics. He told me he's received multiple death threats from people in Shea's camp. They seem to be happening more and more. What, how do you deal with this? Like, you just... Well, I've got my estate in order. I've got my will done. Uh, the kids have all been briefed. Don't take this as me being flippant. Nobody wants to die. Yeah. I came to grips with death a long, long time ago, though. Well, I mean, I think he, he you know, believes strongly in what he does as a law enforcement officer. And it, it really, for him, all comes down to, in both cases, the protection of his officers. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, in running from cops, he's there because he feels like the the PR is, they're on the wrong side of that. That right. people need to see this is a dangerous job. And, you know, these are the things that we're dealing with. That was his case. He was the one who brought up you know, the uh, the Dallas shootings and the people don't remember that. And and I think there's this too. He's talking about officer safety. He's not, it's not out of character. Well, for me, the lesson I learned hearing Sheriff Ozzie on this podcast, yeah. and this is what I think this podcast does as a service, is the spectrum of extremism. Because we listened to Running From Cops and I characterized Sheriff Ozzie as being like one of the scariest people I've ever heard on a podcast. Yeah. And on this podcast, he's the least scary person on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I think, speaks to a spectrum of like where we are as a country. And it's it's really something. So um, on that note, I think we should do what we do. Mm-hmm. Let's tell our audience, thumbs up or thumbs down review. Should they listen to season two of Bundyville? It's called The Remnant. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Well, this is conflicting. So I would like to give it a thumbs up because it's it's very well done. It's very well reported. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. But I, you know what? If you want to not be like me and be in the fetal position on the floor, then you probably shouldn't listen to this because it is, it's a hard reality to listen to this podcast, but it is very well done. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bundyville season two, The Remnant. Uh, I really love this podcast. I thought it was really interesting the whole way through. I think it's important. Leah and her crew are just doing an incredible job. You know, I think it, it ranks up there as far as writing and reporting with some of the best stuff that, we, that we've that we listened to. So I, I give it a, a big thumbs up. I, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, me too. Big thumbs up for me. I love that they dropped it as a binge because it was very bingeable, very difficult topic. But once you're in, you kind of want to hear where it's going to go. A very smart storytelling device they do to start with the bombing. 
you know, which doesn't really come back until the end, except mm-hmm. it's a very compelling place to start, which was smart production and storytelling. The one thing I will say about this show and the team behind this show, it's a great example of very, very clean writing. Like the narration is clean. The reporting is clean. It's completely above board and completely ethical. And when Leah talks about the forces at work, she's not talking about what she thinks they are. She's talking about what she has shown us they are. And that is the mark of great journalism. And that is why I love Bundyville. And that is why I really love The Remnant. So huge thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs up. Um, not way, way up. I mean, I think I, you cannot fault the reporting, the effort that went into this. They covered, you know, thousands of miles just to get tape and to, you know, to find out stuff. Um, we didn't even talk about like the the guy's brother. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like that great interview. There was a bunch of other, you know, really interesting people. You mean the good guy brother? The good guy brother. Yeah. yeah. But I think that you know, like Laura said, it's it will not brighten your day. Moving on. Pineapple Street Media has partnered with Gimlet on a new series, The Clearing. April Bellasio has a lot of questions about her dad, Edward Wayne Edwards. Questions about who he was and what he did. I had no tangible evidence that my dad killed anyone. Questions she's hoping I can help her answer. Oh, they are labeled. Yes. And Ed Edwards? He left behind a lot of clues. Like a box of cassettes police confiscated from his trailer. How many cassettes are we looking at here? It's about 60, I believe. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Over his long life of crime, Edward Wayne Edwards admitted to killing five people. But there are those who think he's connected to a ton of unsolved murders thanks to one man who's made that conspiracy his life's work. In the podcast, The Clearing host Josh Dean and Edward's daughter April have teamed up to learn what other crimes he may have committed and which ones he most probably did not. He always uses letters and numbers. The fifth letter of alphabet is E. So killing three on 5-5 five five was something he had done in the past. And who were these three other three people? Uh, the West Memphis Three. Five, five, and ninety-three. They were, but they were juveniles, right? Yep. There were three kids. Bullshit. But your father also killed three kids. Bullshit. In nineteen fifty-five, in Bullshit. Chicago. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, it went before he came here. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. My Bullshit. Filled with tons of tape from police investigations, new interviews, and the audio diaries of Edwards himself, The Clearing looks to peel away the conspiracy theories and get to the heart of what this serial killer actually did, while also examining the underpinnings of the true crime industrial complex. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about plot points from The Clearing, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, I have to throw this your way. Yeah. Uh, Josh Dean is the host of this podcast. He's a well-known magazine writer, great features uh, personality that I am familiar with and know and believe I may have booked on some public radio interviews in my past life. Mm -hmm. But I actually learned about this podcast from uh, a Facebook post from Jonathan Manhevar, who now works at Pineapple Street Media, is an alum of This American Life. Okay. I believe that this podcast, The Clearing, whatever we think of the story, the plot, what happens, I'm just going to throw it out there. In terms of production, 
and mixing and music and light motifs and themes. I think this is one of the most perfectly produced podcasts I've listened to in a very long time. What do you think? Well, um, I don't think I liked it as much as you did, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's very very good. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't I don't think it really takes off until episode four. Well, what I'm talking we'll about though is the production. So, what I really I think the argument I really want to make is the production style. And the use in particular of sort of like light motifs and music in this podcast. And sort of the way that Josh delivers it. Yes, it's very Leon Nafok. It's very straight. But can I just play you a sample of like the musical light motifs? Please do. Here's a clarinet for family. When April was little, he supported the family by touring around, telling a story of redemption to church groups and high schools and police academies. But she also knew he couldn't hold down a job. Here's Electronica for Story Boom. The sheriff's clerk, Sharon, she handed us all these tapes, neatly packed in three white boxes. When she first heard from April, a few months before our visit, Sharon was super curious to know what was on those tapes. So do you see there that they use like texture in this story in a way yeah. that we don't often hear in these shows? Yeah, it's not amateur hour, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very clever. It's an interesting concept because it really could it's really different from any other pie. I mean, this is what happy face is not. Yes. Right? It's, it's introspective. It's happy face. And yeah. It's like, okay, this is what we're actually going to try to achieve by looking into this guy's past. And then it, again, like I said, I think when we get to the end of episode four, well, even the start of episode four, I mean, it really, it really takes off. Yeah. So, Laura, I really want to talk about April. Because even though Josh tells us really in episode four that he kind of thought this whole thing might be a magazine article, it's April that's kind of the driving force behind this. Kevin and I just sort of joked about this being the anti-happy face, but she is the daughter of the bad guy here. Can you just talk a little bit about what you think her role in this podcast is? Well, I think that she's sort of the catalyst for this podcast, like you said, becoming more than just a magazine story because... You know, right from the, the first episode, when you hear how she always thought something was a little off about her childhood, and she's getting up in the middle of the night Googling um, places that they lived because she felt like her father might be connected to crimes there, you you immediately sense there's something a little bit different about her approach to what her father may or may not have done than other people that we've heard in the same situation and also you know she obviously this is like can you even imagine if if this was somebody you know your father that had been involved in these these type of crimes but she's the way that she talks about it and the way that she is involved in the case and the way that she talks with josh um she comes across as a very likable character and so i think that this podcast really becomes more you know yes it's about and every time I hear Eddie Edwards, I keep thinking of our old liquor commissioner. Every time <laughs> yes. I hear this, I'm like, it's not that Eddie Edwards. Um, so, you know, this podcast really becomes, yes, it's about him, but it's really her journey and her desire to find the truth. And and she's not saying he didn't do these things. She's, But she's also saying, um, you know, he may or may not have done all these things that this other wingnut guy sort of throws out there to see what will stick. I just want to follow you up, up with you on that, Laura, because I found myself asking this question, like April fully knows her father is a serial killer. She knows it. Yes. And she yes. turned him in like yes. she fucking knows it. Yes. She knows he's a bad guy. She's also not comfortable with him being portrayed as a worse guy 
than he was. Although she's saying like, show me the evidence and I'm fine mm-hmm. with it. But like, yeah. if it's not true, don't say it. I find that fascinating. Like she's not yeah. defending him. No. She's like, what's... just let him be the bad guy he is and don't make him worse, but also don't make him better. Like let the facts... Yeah. It's fascinating. What is this? Like her psychological journey? Like, what do you think that's about? Well, I think that's is. And and the thing is, when you listen to her talk about him, I mean, you expect to hear somebody who is completely overwhelmed and traumatized by the fact that this is their father. And that's not how she presents. She's just kind of matter of fact about it. But also, yeah, she's she's suitably horrified, but she's not crippled by that knowledge. She's actually seems almost empowered to find out the truth, which is what makes it so compelling to listen to her, I think. So I don't know what it is about her makeup. Um, Maybe it's because she had to become adaptable as a child as she's moving every five minutes, every time he's like, let's go. It's three in the morning. We're getting out of here. Who knows what went into that you know, in terms of making her that type of person. But it's, it's fascinating to listen to. Now, Toby, you sent me a note. The first note you sent me in your list was, you don't find the podcast super interesting. I want to give you a chance because I have obviously like completely latched on to that fact that this is interesting. I'd like to hear your counterpoint on why you don't love this as much as I do. I'm just going to give you the floor. Go ahead, Toby Ball. Uh, it's kind of interesting to try and explain why something isn't interesting. <laughs> um, I guess my feeling is is that a lot of the arc is not all that unexpected. Like once you kind of hear like what his kind of intentions are, there's like little anecdotes that I thought were were interesting. But Kentucky Fried of, Chicken is that what we're talking about? You're talking about the Kentucky Fried Chicken. The Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> thing was 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 amusing so you know he makes comments throughout the whole dinner oh this is good kentucky fried chicken oh these biscuits are just like kentucky fried chicken and i'm kicking my husband on the table just would you just shut up just let it go who cares just eat it's good then after a while of dropping hints i'll just come right out and say you know you're an idiot i see this stuff right there in the kitchen but even in that situation he would continue to say oh absolutely absolutely yeah, that he 100% made the dinner just for no reason. Uh, the thing where he shows up pretending he's a cop and oh, talks to the, the neighbor is super creepy. A couple days later, my mom, it hits her. Oh, shit. That was Edwards. <laughs> just to be clear, the cop with the mustache, that was Ed Edwards. Uh, trying to picture, I mean, because he had sunglasses and a, and a hat, he had disguised himself pretty well. Oh, he hadn't. It was a fake mustache. It was a bad fake mustache. And the fact that he was on, what's my line or whatever the whatever to that show was. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. By a variety of logics, we have arrived at the following conclusion: a pair of twos on each end. The votes are all in. Will the real Ed Edwards please stand up? Numbers one and two both fake like they're about to rise, and then actual Ed Edwards stands with the wide smile of a man who's just conned everyone into believing he's actually reformed. It's kind of good, but but you know, the the arc is, is did not to me seem to be particularly surprising or unusual beyond like these little anecdotes. I I don't know. I just kind of felt like we spent a lot of time listening to him talk, listening to other people talk, without a whole hell of a lot going on, except for an occasional little anecdote that that seemed a little unusual but once you realize that what he really wants to do is he wants to be executed and then there's a lot of time spent about like the ins and outs of what he's going to have to do to 
get transferred to Ohio so he can get executed there and the disappointments and, you know, I don't know. I just kind of felt I had a hard time connecting with it. And, and then again, until, like Kevin said, I thought the fourth episode sort of really changed it quite a bit. But, you know, at that point, you're like two hours in or more. Like, again, I mean, it's not it's not like it's bad. The idea that there's this treasure trove of audio, like this guy was such a narcissist that he felt like he better record all his thoughts all the time. And then you have access to that. And the guy's also like deranged, like that. that's like a treasure trove of stuff. But the reality is, is that what he's talking about isn't super interesting. Mm. Like you try to think like, well, what if this guy wasn't, what if we didn't think he was a serial killer? Is any of this stuff then become interesting? Mm. And I felt like a lot of it was only interesting because you thought you were getting some kind of insight into this sort of terrifying person. I don't know. I didn't find that particularly compelling. The fourth episode I thought was really interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about that fourth episode. But before we do, Kevin, can I just like make a counterpoint to what Toby said and you can disagree with me if you want. All right. So we hear about sort of the tape and, you know. Eddie Edwards, Edward Edwards, which I know he changed his name and that was not his name. But my first question for someone named Edward Edwards is like, why do your parents hate you so much? (laughs) Anyway, um, one of the things that stuck out to me that I loved was when April took the podcast producers to explore one of her memories. Mm hmm. And she had this memory of her father, like take it's very specific place, it's very specific park, taking her to see a crime scene. And she's like, just and they were and they were very doubtful. They get there and they find the place, and it's actually where those victims were found. And it really was a crime scene. And it very much seems to me like those setup episodes, which I don't think you loved either, and which Toby clearly didn't love before episode four, were about testing April's veracity. So that we could trust that they've brought her into this. And I know it took a kind of a long time to get there. I thought it was really good. And it built a lot for me of investment in, unlike Happy Face, where it was just like a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> it built a lot for me of like, it was a slow build, but I, I, I know I'm impatient. And I always say like slow builds are a barrier. Why did I like it so much and you guys didn't? I really liked it too, Rebecca. So Okay. I'm glad so it wasn't just no, me. No, I really liked it. And I really liked the music that they used. And the music was even kind of quirky to me. <laughs> Some of the music that like it was like do do like kind of lighter sounding music the than you would yes. and I was like huh, this is an interesting music choice. And I, I loved um some of the little quips that Josh threw in where I was like, Huh, that's kind of funny. I bet he's got a good sense of humor in person. One dollar bill. The limitations of a podcast prevent me from showing you this video. You can find it yourself on YouTube if you really want. But let me save you the time. This random Santa, I'm not sure who he is, but he's not Ed Edwards. I do really like Josh. Yeah. I think he is a great storyteller. You definitely can tell from his writing, while he's not a, a broadcast journalist, he's good with words. He also knows how to take uh, his script and make it sound like he's talking slightly extemporaneously so it's it's good in that way like like a sarah koenig like a leon nafok yeah you know there are some you know folks that are just sort of like spinning a tail um not in a fantabulous way no no, right not in a fantastic way but sort of like just really connecting with you and talking sort of generally about yeah this is what we found you know not reading a report but sort of reporting back to you now, let's talk about episode four, where mm-hmm. it took a big turn for you, I know, because I think I walked in on you listening and you said, 
I've just changed my mind about this whole thing. Mm. Um, John Cameron, who is the guy that we hear has been propagating this story. Like we saw the news reports post making a murderer thing like that's Edward Edwards in the footage. He's really the one who killed Teresa Hall back and he really killed John Benet Ramsey. And he's also the Zodiac. One guy is responsible for this, John Cameron. Our introduction to him is that Josh Dean goes to interview him. And he's in the hospital. On morphine with a punctured lung. On morphine because he says he had a drunken fall. What a way to introduce an unreliable source, right? Yeah, but his unreliability is the reason he's a character in Mm. this at all. You know, at all. They're not going to go find like, oh, here's the chief inspector of the case. They're really there to, to talk to the guy who has created this fable that he deeply believes in. He's, you know, White Whale and Ahab. For the true crime industrial complex. Yeah, well, or, or, I mean, not even that. I mean, just, it's so far out that, like you said, that the radio host for Coast to Coast. Oh, my God, <laughs> I have to talk about that. Was, even he, who, who was uh, tongue-tied. There's another moment on Coast to Coast when Cameron spins the story so wild that when he's finished, the host just pauses for an uncomfortably long time. You research these kind of cases. You see all of these stories. Do you ever think that the obsession of of tracking this kind of story? Um, I have to tell you, you Coast to Coast has a special place in my home. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) My my Uncle Wal, Uncle Walter, who comes to stay with us every Christmas for an extended visit. He has insomnia and his favorite thing to do at night he has finally fast up is listen to coast to coast. So for his birthday this year, I got him a six month subscription to the podcast. So we didn't have to stay up till one in the morning to listen to it. Nice. Very nice. You're sweet. So I was so excited when I heard this. I'm like, Oh, this is great. I can't wait to tell uncle wall about this. Now, Toby, I kept thinking about you listening to episode four because I felt like April, who, by the way, as we mentioned, is the daughter of the serial killer, Edward Edwards is playing you in this podcast when she's listening to John Cameron's claims on the Today Show. Edwards ties a lot of his murders to 666. Okay, that's just absolutely ludicrous. Uh, To me, that is just totally ludicrous. It's crazy. I have no idea how he came up with that idea. But that's where the evidence led. What evidence? Seriously, what evidence? And he's not really... Lacey was killed on Christmas Eve. Uh, Her body was found on Palm Sunday. Um, He stages his murders on Christian holidays. No, he doesn't. Fourth of July, more Memorial Days. No, he doesn't. Anything that's a significant day in history. You also suggest he may be responsible for this. Yeah. So, and then, all right, now, the ones that he confessed to, were any of those on any holidays? No. No. So, Toby, do you think that April is the Toby Ball of this podcast? Jeez, yeah, I hope so. Um, no, I mean, I, I, again, I you know, this is where I thought the podcast kind of like suddenly got interesting. Where you've got this woman who you know grew up with this monster as a father, and she knows he did terrible things, and then she she has to deal with this this guy who's like. You know, he was uh, the Zodiac killer and he, you know, he killed this person. Have you ever heard of a private? Do you think your dad ever chartered jets? 
It's like, what? You think he chartered a jet so he could fly to Denver and kill John Benet Ramsey and mm. then get back? I mm. mean, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about? That was interesting. It was interesting to have that dynamic set up. And that guy is just so full of shit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> when you were talking earlier about the remnant and you talked about how you thought it was, you know, clever framing to start off with the bomb and then and then sort of move on from there to sort of the, the meat of what they're gonna talk about. I almost think that, you know, maybe they could have started with something like this. Mm. It might have caught my interest a little bit more and I hate that idea of criticizing something because it they didn't make it the way you wanted them to make it. You know, you got to kind of take it on its own merits. I don't know. I, I guess I'll save it for the recommendations. But I think <laughs> if you can hang in there to get to the fourth one, there's there's a good payoff. Now, Lara, um, at the end of the fourth episode, this is why I put the extra spoiler alert in our spoiler alerts. There's a bit of a kicker because the podcast tells us uh, first, we're going to look at what this guy did, and then we're going to look at the larger thing. And it does take three episodes to get to the larger thing. But then at the end of the fourth episode, maybe he actually did do something that John Cameron thinks he may have done. And they're going to like now maybe solve that. What did you think of that? I don't even know. Um, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I will reserve judgment until I hear what they have to say, because... You know, I, I guess it is it is probable when you hear this guy. I mean, he wrote a book about his crimes. He wants a lot of attention about his crimes. He's pretty narcissistic. And then when you hear kind of details of things that he's done and the fact that they were moving all the time, it is plausible to think that maybe there are other things that he was involved in. I gonna go on a limb here. I don't think it's John Bonet, but <laughs> I don't think it's Teresa Halbach. But I, it is going to be interesting to hear where they go next with this. Do you think he's the Zodiac? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I, am I going to eat my words? I don't know. I mean, who knows? But I won't be surprised if he's linked to more crimes. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think every <laughs> they have handled this podcast so well to start. I can't imagine this is a fake out or it's worse like what happens with what happened with Serial where they have these great cliffhangers and never fulfill them. Hmm. Um, so my interest is now peaked as to what they might actually find out. Hmm. Well, I think we should do what we do and tell our listeners, should they check out The Clearing? Uh, it's a podcast from Pineapple Street Media. I think the partnership with Gimlet, that's just who's distributing it and doing the marketing for them. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's the Pineapple Street people have made this podcast, The Clearing, with Josh Dean. Thumbs up or thumbs down review. What do you think, Laura Bricker? What should our audience take away? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, I'm going with thumbs up. I really liked this podcast. I liked the narrator's style. I liked, you know, his manner of delivery and his his writing. And I loved April, um, the daughter of the killer. And I also really liked the quirky music that they used and, and the production quality of this podcast. So I really liked this. It was um, it was really interesting to listen to. There's also, you know, you've got tapes. We've got access to the killer himself. That's always fun. Um, so I would say thumbs up. Toby Ball, I can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down from the clearing. Where do you finally land Toby Ball? I guess I'll give it a thumbs up. You know, the writing's good. You know, everything basically about it is good other than the first three episodes. I don't even know if it's slow going, but it's just I didn't find it super interesting. And then suddenly the fourth episode comes and it's like, oh, well, 
that's a whole different deal. And, and I should also say that I think that other people will like it more than I did. I, I'm just not that interested in like the whole serial killer genre. If people are interested in it, they, there's probably a lot there for them. And then again, you get to the fourth and it, and it suddenly springs to life. Like Kevin said, uh, so I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up, but it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a qualified one. Yeah. I'm giving it a huge thumbs up. And I just want to say for everybody out there who disagreed when we said that Happy Face was, what did you say, Kevin? Fucking hot mess of a podcast? Yeah, I think that. <laughs> this is everything for me that that podcast wasn't. And everything for me that the podcast, what was the other one with the kids in the van and the art? Broken, Broken heart. Hearts. Like this is, it could be so voyeuristic. We have the daughter of a serial killer working with a reporter to flesh out a story it could be a disaster, and it is the opposite of a disaster for me. All It's funny, all the complaints that you and uh, Toby have, Kevin, about sort of like the restraint of the first three episodes and the sort of like the things it does, to me, those are the things that make the fourth episode work. Because if we started there, I would be calling bullshit just like April does in that episode. But the f- integrity of the first three build the foundation for me upon which now I am willing to go to whatever crazy place this podcast goes because I have so much trust in what they're doing. I am in love with The Clearing. I think it's one of the best things I've listened to in a very long time. I very often say on this show that like I only listen to what I have to listen to review to review it and then I'll never talk about it again. Like I am going to be listening to this podcast every week until it's over. I love it. It's going to be first on my playlist. Kevin, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the clearing? I'm a thumbs up. Um, like you said, that uh, it was a really good podcast and then you get to episode four and all of a sudden, I mean, it's a fantastic episode. I can only hope that it means that it's taking the podcast in a great way. I, I will. Can I tell you though what the thing I really hate about the podcast yes. is? The name. The clearing. The clearing. What does it mean? Is this is we're going to be clearing somebody? So this is the clearing of them. No, it's not about a clearing in the woods, right? Well, it's that's the place where they, they went. Found. That yeah. clearing where they went, where the pond was, right? That's her memory. That clearing. I kind of think. See, because I think it plays as like we're clearing. No, like it's we're the making... place. Because remember the oh. place of her of her childhood was a clearing. Yes. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of the week. The crime of the week. Call it a nothing burger. Nothing burger. <laughs> An officer at the Marion County Sheriff's Office in Indiana said he was the victim of a food vandal. He's accused someone at the local McDonald's of taking bites out of his McChicken sandwich before he could eat it. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) That's where I would put that stinger in. The officer put the meal in the refrigerator and came back for it after his seven hour shift. But when he unwrapped it, he saw several bites had been taken out of it. Mm. Now, this wouldn't have been the first time some fast food worker has shown their displeasure with law enforcement by adding to their order something like spit or urine or whatever. Special sauce. But the officer went back to the restaurant to complain, and the manager offered to give him more food, but he refused. This case of food tampering spawned investigations by both the sheriff's office and the Golden Arches. And it turns out... It wasn't a Mickey D's employee. After all, the cop simply forgot that he ate part of the sandwich before putting it in the fridge. (laughs) 
failing to identify <laughs> his own teeth marks on that bun. <laughs> kind of overreacted. That's an inexact science. <laughs> and the That's officer, right. It's not his fault. It's pattern <laughs> uh, forensics. The officer has since issued an apology to McDonald's. So, panel, this officer seems to be very, very sensitive. So my question for you is, what other innocent thing did he mistake for a slight? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with the obvious, not putting toilet paper on the toilet paper roll when it's empty. Because <laughs> he used it himself. <laughs> <laughs> After this? going to McDonald's. No, no, <laughs> you're going to have to cut, but you know. I'm not thinking of Taco it. Bell. <laughs> Toy Ball, what do you think? Uh, the innocent thing that may have happened to this officer mistook for a slight. I feel bad for his wife when he can't find the remote. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kevin? What do you think? Well, he's always upset because none of the people in lockup will say hi to him. He always has to say hi to them first. <laughs> it's like, why aren't they saying hi to me? He gets really upset about it. <laughs> That's very good. That could be tough. All right. We should probably end it on that note. Before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, yes, we do. We've all heard of the most dramatic rose ceremony ever. What about the most dramatic catnip ceremony of them ever? What? Jennifer Little McCord has sent me a picture, several, and, and she sent me a video of her cat, and she wants him to be the first catchler. And here is what he has to say. Are you going to be the catchler? Are you going to be the catchler? And uh, then she also made him into a calendar with each month, different outfits. But too many people wanted the calendar, so she had to discontinue it. Um, so I think that... It her was too successful. It was too successful. She had to stop it. So um, Catchler is the cat of the week. I don't know if that's more or less bananas than the Bundyville people and this cop who thinks that guy killed John Benet Rams. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. We should probably really wrap it up on that note. Laura Bricker... If any more of our wonderful and definitely not bonkers listeners want to send you their animals to be cat slash dog slash pet of the week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, if people want to reach out to you and say, hey, I didn't like the first three episodes of The Clearing either, but number four, turn it all around for me. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm sure there's going to be a barrage of tweets about that. Um, at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to reach out to you and remind you how to spell crime, how can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you. Are you going to be the I'm sorry. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show right now. Plus, Mary with Podcast, Toby's Balls Deep Dive Book Club Podcast with Madeline fucking Barron and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where I definitely made that chicken, even though you can clearly see the KFC buckets right there. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. What was like... Coming down here as late as possible so I could watch the little bit of the opening of the debate. But the audio quality on the debate is so bad. 
I feel like I was listening to a terrible podcast that we had to review. CNN is a, is a giant television station. I make a fucking podcast in my basement and my audio quality is a thousand times better than CNN's. How is that possible? Partners in crime media. media.